the time that I had alone in the hospital, like right when the accident happened and, and then the week after that, it was just the, it was basically the worst week days of my life, more so because I was, you know, I was in a foreign country. Australia, they speak English, but it's still, it wasn't home. It wasn't my home. They do things differently from what I'm used to in the States. And, and I obviously did not have any of my friends or family. They were miles and miles away. And uh, yeah, sorry, I was getting emotional and I was thinking about it just being, you know, laying in the hospital bed and not knowing what's going to happen next. Welcome to the Shit We Don't Tell Mom podcast. This is Christy. And this is Angie. And we're here to chat about the uncomfortable shit we secretly want to talk about as Asian millennials. Welcome back to another episode of Shit We Don't Tell Mom. This is Christy. And this is Angie. And today we have Kelly Chu with us. Kelly is super inspirational. When I read your stories, multiple versions of your stories. I'm like, wow. So Kelly's been through a life-changing traumatic event, I would say. I don't want to give away spoilers because I want Kelly to talk about that. So Kelly, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks again for having me here. I, well, I live in LA, originally from the Bay Area, and I have an older brother and older sister, so I'm the youngest. And yeah, I'm just really uh, family oriented, and I have a nine to five job in digital marketing. And then I'm also, yeah, like I'm a writer, I have a blog, and I'm getting into motivational speaking right now. So, but that's all based on my, of course, my story, which I'll tell you now. This took place 10 years ago, and I was studying abroad in Australia and I was studying uh, acting the uh, performing arts and I was about 22 21 22 and I was you know I was having the greatest time in my life I was exploring and just living I was I was there supposed to be for a, a one-year program and I think in the in the second or third month you know I was Again, I was meeting a lot of different international people and students. So we were all just kind of hanging out and having fun and going to different places around Australia, which was really nice. But then one night uh, we were at a house party, some of us, and there's about like maybe 30 to 40 people there. And yeah, we were just, again, dancing, having a good time, drinking. One thing led to another and I ended up getting into a car with a drunk driver and I was in the back seat. And I don't, obviously, I don't remember a lot of the car accident itself. It was, it happened so quickly. I just kind of remember the car swerving and I woke up and I woke up in the hospital basically. And, but still like everything was a blur. I didn't know what was going on, but then I saw a doctor approach me and he said, you know, Kelly, we may need to amputate your left hand. And that did not register to me at all. I I blacked out, I think. And then sometime later, I woke up and I just see like both my hands heavily bandaged. And I was like, whoa, what, like, what the fuck is going on? I don't, you know, I knew obviously something happened because I remember being in the car. I just didn't know exactly what. I was still out of it. I was drugged up. I passed out again, I believe. And then I think it was, you know, the next day when I was really, when all these nurses and doctors came around and just basically briefed me in what into what happened, that I was in a car accident, that they basically had to pull me out. There's different stories, I guess, because the car, I guess, flipped over. Or I heard one story that I was... Each like ejected out in the window like it was just all these different things I don't really know if anyone really knew what happened but yeah they were just telling me you know my injuries that basically my left hand they managed to save they didn't have to amputate it thank god but they had to reconstruct it by using or taking muscle nerve and skin from my right leg and then my right hand had ulnar nerve damage. So that affects like the pinky and the movement of the pinky and the ring finger. So they had to put a nerve there for it to grow back, basically. So I was in Australia in that hospital specifically for one month. And I had to withdraw from my my program from school. My family came, you know, eventually to the hospital. 
and they they took me back to the states the united states and california and i had to finish up my therapy and surgeries there so i've had a total of 11 surgeries within oh a four-year recovery period <laughs> so you know it yeah they've <laughs> it's a it's a whole thing and i i just i kind of always emphasize i always remember that the time that i had alone in the hospital like right when the accident happened and and then the week after that it was just the it was basically the worst week days of my life more so because i was you know i was in a foreign country you know australia they speak english but it's still it wasn't home it wasn't my home they do things differently from what i'm used to in the states and and i obviously did not have any of my friends or family they were miles and miles away and uh, yeah, sorry, I was getting emotional and I was thinking about it just being, you know, laying in the hospital bed and not knowing what's going to happen next. And I had so many, so many questions, so much anxiety. And the actually also the worst thing was that doctors and nurses couldn't give me answers. They, because they didn't know either what would become of my, of my injuries. It was unique. It was the hand functioning part, they didn't know if I was going to live independently again. So it was just not getting answers and having that anxiety and just being alone in the hospital bed. Um, oh my God, God sorry. No, it was really don't hard. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. Yeah. It was really hard just, yeah, being alone with that. I have goosebumps right now. It's coming yes. from my face all the way down to my legs. Mm-hmm, me too. And I also just want to say thank you for sharing that story, for being so so brave and vulnerable about that. I I can't imagine what those days were like when you were in the hospital. When you woke up and the doctors were telling you all these different messagings, do you remember what was that like for you and what were the thoughts going through your head? I was just really confused. I, I didn't know what to believe, but... I think I remember mostly just kind of blaming myself and having a lot of regrets because it was, you know, it was my decision to go into a car with a drunk driver. And, you know, the other thing was that I did not have my seatbelt on. So all of that, like, I actually thought I was, it was so weird. I actually thought that the police were going to come and I was going to get in trouble or something for it. And yeah, that's all I really remember solely thinking about. Then yeah, the nurses and doctors, what they were telling me, it, was, it just didn't seem real. It didn't seem like, I, I didn't really believe it because they didn't, it didn't seem that they believed what they were saying. <laughs> and I got mixed messages too from like different doctors. It was a whole thing where no one knew what, what was going to happen. So I just had to like, I don't know, I just had to sit there and kind of stew in my own thoughts and kind of, I don't know, um, take it day by day, I guess, and see what 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 message I would get the next day and stuff, but it was really hard. And but what what really helped also was, you know, I I had my international friends, and so they did come and visit me in the hospital, which was really nice. And they gave me a lot of support support, you know, and messages. It's so scary to not know of what's to come in yeah. any situation, like yeah. fear of the unknown. Right, that's a thing that people say. And and when you wake up. And someone tells you that, oh, we might have to amputate your hands. Holy fucks, you yeah. know? And then... Like, no wonder you passed out again. Like, I would just be like... <laughs> what kind of news Take is that? that? What kind like, of a nightmare is Like, this? oh, you just woke up? We might have to chop off your hand. Like, what? Yeah, I just woke up. And that's the first thing that they tell me. And this oh is like... Goodness. And I was like in a room, like on, you know, steel or I guess steel you know, bed or whatever. And, and I just remember them, like all these lights on me and all these people like rushing around me and they were taking off my clothes. So everything was, it, yeah, it was just a crazy night. <laughs> I wanted to just knock out because I didn't want to deal with it kind of. And I did. So. And then the second time when you woke up, that was after the skin graft and, and when they had, I don't even know what the medical term is, but Put nerves into your Yeah, hand. I mean, I always call it, yeah, just reconstructed my hand. It took, though, like three major surgeries in the hospital to do that as far as my left hand. But yeah, when I woke up, I I think I was in, I just had surgery. So I was still in like that recovery room. So there was a nurse there. They they gave me like that button to, to that I can push to release pain medication, I guess. So 
I just remember that. And then, yeah, that's about it. Did you know that that was going to happen, that they were going to reconstruct your hand? Or did you just wake up and it was, your hand is now different? No, I didn't know. Because, I mean, that's the last thing I heard was that they might need to amputate it. But then, like, it was all bandaged up. So I don't, I couldn't really see anything. So I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know what was, what was, what my hand looked like. But I do remember the doctor telling me that they were going to take some, like, muscle, basically, from my right leg for something. But, you know, even then, I didn't know what that meant or, like, what exactly they were doing, you know, because... They didn't really, you know, I was out of it and they didn't really tell me much. Mm-hmm. And also I would assume in shock too, because mm-hmm. so much shit had just happened. And then you're in, you're by yourself in a foreign country, you just had this huge impact and oh my gosh. And so then when you did find out that they had reconstructed your hands, did it feel different for you at all to think like your hands are now different than the ones that you had before? Yeah. I mean, it took some time because the skin graft had to like they had to let it heal on its own for like a certain amount of time and always checked on it but I wasn't able to move my hands yet so I obviously saw them and what it looked like and I just remember my left hand was like a big when they did unravel the bandages they it it, it looked like a my brother refers it as like a puffer fish it was like huge it was like a big puffer fish with like needles coming out, not needles, but like, you know, I guess needles. Yeah, needles coming out and my my fingers were, you know, not positioned. They were positioned weird and wrong. And it was like a, you know, what it is right now, which is like a claw-like form, like a monster hand. So yeah, that was <laughs> just seeing that initially, like that was really that was scary. It was scary to be like, whoa, like this is my new hand. And then more questions in my mind of like, what, how am I supposed to, like, what's, what, what am I able to do now? Am I going to be a hundred percent hand functional? Like what's going on? And, and then I don't think anyone really knew that though. I had to go through the therapy and see what I could do with it. Hand therapy. When your family came over to visit you, like what, what were their emotions like? What was their reaction? I remember just seeing them for the first time and they were just happy to see me alive, basically. But I do remember, you know, I, I felt this. I felt like I was, I disappointed them in a way because of my decisions. But from their perspective, they didn't say, they didn't say anything at all like that to me. They didn't like scold me or anything like that. And like, why did you do this? And they just really, they were just really happy to see me be okay that I was still you know, that I was smiling when they were there and that I was comfortable, I guess, in my hospital bed because I've been there for so long now. And I, cause they came, they came maybe like a, a week or two after the initial accident. So yeah, they were just spent, they just spent time with me and they just, that's all they wanted to do. And then internally, cause you mentioned, you know, on the surface, you were smiling and being quote unquote, okay. But internally, were there any feelings of shame or, or guilt? And because you did mention some regretful thoughts were coming up and you had all these, you know, oh my gosh, I, maybe I should have worn a seatbelt type things. Yeah. And what was that like for you at the time? Yeah, I did have those thoughts. It, ca- it came in waves. You know, obviously when my family was there, I felt the happiest because they were there. But even when they were there, I did have moments of like, just being a disappointment in, you know, in their eyes. And I felt embarrassed that I didn't have my seatbelt on. That's something that my mother always taught me when I was younger. And just internally, I didn't know. I don't know. Yeah, it was slowly just kind of, you know, eating at me. And and I had moments of yeah, just being had bad, really bad days of just sitting in my negative thoughts and down going down that rabbit hole replaying that night you know always kind of like what if I didn't do this or that and also like I would feel bad when I did see like my international friends the people I made friends with over there they were continuing with their abroad program you know so they were like still exploring having fun and I remember just seeing that, that really, that I hated that because that I was st- stuck in the hospital with all of my injuries and I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I, I, I totally thought that that was something I really lost and it was my fault. And I was just really mad at myself, really mad at myself about that. And how did you work through that? All those negative thoughts, how did you get to a point where you came to be where you're at now, basically? Like, how did you deal with those thoughts? Yeah, I mean, during that time in, in Australia, and even when I came back to the States, it, it, was, it was difficult to, 
to figure out, I guess, and I guess how to best handle it. But, you know, I, as I was kind of complaining and after every surgery, complaining and being just so exhausted of each surgery and really just thinking of those negative thoughts and crying all the time, I... <laughs> I, I, it eventually got old. Like it eventually was like, oh my God, like <laughs> this is so exhausting to be so like just this complainer. And this is like during, you know, my therapy sessions too. It was really frustrating to do things I couldn't do and I had to relearn everything, especially like the, the daily tasks. Like, you know, my brain wanted to do something, but my hands couldn't. I remember like <laughs> with an ATM machine, I, I was able to put my debit card in, but I couldn't take it out. And that's how weak my hand was. So just like those little things, you know, that really frustrated me. And I would cry every day. But I think what I felt was I can't just complaining all the time. It, it got me nowhere. There was no it, it was so exhausting that I, I was still in the same situation as I am now if I was complaining all the time. So the only other choice I had was to move on with the days. You know, every day was something new. Every day was a new opportunity for me to get better and better at my hand exercises or whatnot. So that was kind of the, you know, the changing of my mindset because that's that's basically the only choice I had. I had to do something or else I would just sit there and kind of go down that rabbit hole and just think of all these negative thoughts. And that got old, that got tiring for me. And so... I just decided, you know what, I mean, I need to do something. I need to go the other way and think positive thoughts, be hopeful, and just take it day by day. That's what I did. I took it day by day. I didn't look in the future so much. And when, if I did, you know, during the day, I would just kind of change my mindset and be like, nope, today is going to be a new day. So I always kind of had to do that with my mind. And now, you know, 10 years later, you're sitting here, you're looking really upbeat, you're gesturing with your hands, like, (laughs) how are your hands doing now? It's good. I mean, yeah, I've adjusted so much. Like I said, people didn't know if I was going to be independent again, living independently. But now, like, I kind of made that my goal. Like, after all of my surgeries and therapy, I was like, no, I plan to move to LA. And that's what I did. And that was by myself and I live alone. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to continue what I wanted to do. But I had to learn, obviously, relearn everything with my hands. And that just took a lot of adjusting and adapting, finding other solutions and finding ways I can, you know, open something or or whatnot. It it took me a long time to put my hair in a ponytail again, again, but I just adjusted and found a way. So yeah, I mean, right now there, it's not like my left hand is not 100% functional. It's more of like a helper hand. And my right hand is, I would say, like 80% functional, which I rely on. So Mm -hmm. I think it speaks a lot to your character of how like positive you are, even when you're talking about it. Like, of course, you get emotional when you're talking about waking up alone and, you know, reliving that that would make anybody extremely emotional. It made us just completely speechless, which is very rare. (laughs) We have a podcast. It's very difficult to make both Christy and I speechless. (laughs) And, um, and I love that. I love how you talk about the adaptability, right? Like that makes you who you are. This experience has tested your own creativity and your own ingenuity to find ways to live your life day by day. Again, you mentioned you're writing a memoir about your story and that you Mm -hmm. want to become a motivational speaker. I think those like very human stories about how we overcome these little things like learning how to tie a ponytail like that's it seems like such a small thing but I think like it it says a lot about the whole experience so thank you so much for sharing that my question is when you were talking about becoming independent and because you didn't know if that was going to be something that was achievable the question that popped into my head is do you think you know of course everything you went through did change you you know you said it was a life-changing event do you think it changed any of your core beliefs or your values like my core beliefs I had before the accident yeah um I I feel like maybe if anything it it enhanced it more because I mean the only thing you know as far as independence that was basically the main reason why I wanted to study abroad you know I'm the youngest of three and I was always babied (laughs) and I, you know, I was 21. It was it was sort of time for me to find my independence. And I really had a vision and goal for that. And that's 
why I wanted to study abroad, not knowing anyone and living there for like a year to gain that independence and, and you know, find myself who I am, who I want to be, because I was always kind of attached to my family and what they believed. So it was, it was time for me to find out what I believed. And so I was always a strong, I guess, advocate for independence during that time. But then this happened <laughs> and it, it really, yeah, it, it, it but because I had to do so many things, like relearn everything on my question of, you know, if I were to be independent again, I just, I gained so much. I gained so much about what, I mean, it would be like the same thing as if I maybe studied abroad and continued my program is that I, I found a lot. I learned a lot about myself and what I can do. What was I capable of doing? And like you said, like just being creative and finding a way, finding a solution. And so, yeah, I think it enhanced. And, I, and then I wanted to continue. I wanted to go move to LA by myself, not knowing anyone and continue with my goals and dreams. And I, that's what I did. I just had to wait until all these surgeries and therapy ended. And then I was, but you know, during that whole time, that's what I had in my mind. I think that's helped, that helped me to think stronger and gain strength with my exercises. And just knowing that I still had that vision of going and being independent again. It's kind of weird how you decided to go study abroad because when you're young, that's what you do. You just travel and discover yourself. <laughs> and, you know, it's your first time really being away from family. And that was what you were seeking for. And of course, no one expects ever something bad's going to happen to us. It's always going to happen to another person, but we never think that it would ever happen to us. And then when it did, you still ended up gaining all of those experiences that you were searching for, which was having that independence and pushing yourself to the boundaries to see how far you can go just in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it like pushed you to literally like the edge of your boundaries and testing, going down back to the basics of like relearning how to control your hands. Like that yeah. is an incredible story. Yeah. And my plan before the accident was pursuing an acting career and yeah, moving into LA for that. And so I picked up where I left off basically after the accident and pursued acting. But then I realized that I was just a changed person. I was a different person now because of this traumatic event. It made me more self-aware. It made me appreciate, of course, life. It made me appreciate other people, how everyone is going through something. They must be going through something. And to be less selfish and more selfless in a way. Because I remember even before the accident, I felt really like entitled. I felt like I was, self I was doing everything for myself. But like after the accident, I wanted to get to know other people who had similar stories as me and just learning about other people in general, which really, yeah, I don't know, just the whole event just really made me enlightened so much for me around me. So I was pursuing acting and in my acting class, I was writing my own monologues and I did my own short film. And that's where I kind of fell in love with like storytelling and my own story, like writing in general too. And that's why I created the blog and kind of wanting to reach other people, other stories out there. So I, I'm not doing acting anymore. <laughs> I'm like pursuing writing and motivational speaking. So it's like, yeah, it was just, it's different. It's different. It's like the same, but no, it's like, it's different now because I'm a different person. You still have a dream. It's just your dream is now more in line with your life circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's all part of life is pivoting to whatever life really throws at you, right? And then yeah. through that journey, you kind of figure out what is it that you really want? What is it that really brings you joy? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, having that goal of wanting to be independent again, you know, and, and focusing on that. And that really helped you throughout the recovery too. And I think just by having that, having some sort of a vision, no matter how the path is going to move, but just having that, it really helps motivate us to get to wherever it is that we need to, however it is that we get there. Yeah. Right? It makes us like want to take life day by day because we're like, there's no other way to get there to get to that, you know, goal or success point that you want, unless you take things day by day. 
And then adding to that too is like, sometimes we have goals, but then we're so fixated on the goal that we are not taking it day by day. Does that like, does that make sense? Because we're like, we're not celebrating the everyday wins. A lot of times we're like, okay, well this, this thing is checked off. Okay. Now onto the next thing and onto the Mm. next thing until I get to that goal. But I think what I'm hearing from you, Kelly, is that you had this goal. It really helped you move along the journey, especially because there was so much emotional bits that came with it. Right. And it kind of helped you pull yourself out of that dark pit because Mm -hmm. you, you had this vision, but you also allowed yourself through therapy that, you know what, I'm just going to live day by day and every day I'm going to step towards that goal. But whether it's going to be a big step or a little step, it's still a step. And then you allow yourself to celebrate that day by day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfectly said. (laughs) She's really good at summarizing things. (laughs) Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I want to mention that like, so before the accident, when I was saying that I was sort of, I was just, you know, I was 20, 20, 21, and I had that vision, that goal. And I feel like this is a lot of young people, but you just don't know. You're just so ignorant. You know, you don't know how, how much it'll take to get to your goal. And then you think it's just going to be easy and, and everything is going to be perfect. It's going to align your way. But then this accident happened to me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's going to be really hard. And it changed me too. You know, it changed my perspective of like, like you said, like, you know, you don't think that these happen, these things happen to, to ourselves. Like it was happened to other people, but it did happen to me. It just made me appreciate every day. I also feel like just hearing your story, we need to really appreciate the little things. Gratitude, like, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Having because you wouldn't yeah. really appreciate the ability to tie your hair up in a ponytail until you lose that ability. I read this article the other day that was talking about how we think that we're motivated by negative things like, oh, regret and guilt. So people like to, you know, guilt trip friends or guilt trip family members to hopefully motivate them into doing something. Mm. And I find like guilt tripping is like really, really common in our culture. (laughs) But I feel like, you know, a lot of times, like maybe our parents don't understand that guilt tripping is not a good way. to do things but I was reading this article about how like there's a reason why the dead gets more flowers than the live people than the than the alive because the live the living the living the living wow because the living were guilty about the dead and so they are trying to compensate by throwing flowers at their grave the word throwing sounds horrible throwing flowers like (laughs) the phrase was regret is a stronger emotion than gratitude And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can see that. I can see that it's a stronger emotion. It doesn't mean that it's a more helpful emotion. Because like you said, when you were feeling really regretful and you were waking up in the hospital, just being really like, what if this happened? What if that happened? Like, I regret this. I regret that. It's a really strong emotion and it like almost debilitated you, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it makes you, it holds you back. I feel like regret holds you back because it makes you just keep thinking about the past. But then for you, Kelly, like where I saw that, your story kind of aligned with what I was reading about is when you were like, you know what, I can't, I'm exhausted. I can't, I'm tired of being regretful. I'm tired of feeling all this like guilt about what I what could have happened. I'm just gonna look forward. And then your tone changed to gratitude. You're like, I'm grateful that I can do these little things. I'm grateful that my family is here to support me. That shift between that, that shift in your story from regret to re- gratitude is where from the perspective as someone listening to your story is where things started to pick up. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like when I was regretting, uh, (laughs) I I just don't like that feeling of complaining. It was almost like what was, I was just kind of screaming for attention almost, you know, and for someone to tell me like, you know, no, it's not your fault. Uh, I don't know if I was looking for that, but, or maybe I was, but when I kept on doing it, I just noticed that that time was the days were moving, time was moving, everyone was kind of just living their daily lives like normal. And I I just yeah, like I just got tired of how come I'm not doing that? How come I'm not able to to keep on living day by day? And I should I should live that day by day. I was just exhausted complaining all the time and being like a baby, (laughs) in a way. And I just wanted to focus now on like, let's just it's just it's just time to focus on the positive. (laughs) It's too much negative, you know? I have a question and this is like, (laughs) I I don't know where this is going to go, but how, how are you? 
(laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I think it's because I'm uncomfortable because I don't know if this is going to pull more negative feelings. Do you, (laughs) how do you feel about the drunk driver? Ooh. I'm a very, I mean, I would say I'm pretty, we call it maybe apologetic. I always kind of thought, maybe I still have trouble doing with this, but I always feel like everything is my fault especially then, you know, and what I thought about, like, you know, having my seatbelt on going into the car. But I, I don't know, I sort of, then I really blocked it out, kind of like him in general, and just felt, I mean, it's crazy to say, but just felt like it was all of our faults, which it was realistically. But I don't know, I, that you know, he did visit me in the hospital. And he wasn't even a good friend. He was just someone who was at the house and was, you know, we all decided to go get more alcohol and he was going to drive. So I didn't really know him that well. But he did visit me maybe a couple of days after the accident in the hospital. And I I don't know what I, I don't really remember what I, I think I just remember feeling not anger, not, not sadness, nothing like that. It was just, he was nothing to me. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was, God, I'm sorry, I'm not making any sense, but like, it's just, I, he was not, he gave me flowers, he's, he apologized, but I don't remember, I don't, I, it didn't mean anything, I guess, to me, him being there and his words, like, it just didn't mean anything, because I don't want to say, like, I was rude and didn't say anything, or, you know, didn't accept his apology, I, it was just, I don't, maybe till this day, too, it's just, I didn't, I don't feel anything. I don't feel like I have to feel anything, if that makes sense. Of course, he apologized, and I, and I, I you know, I accept. And, but I think, like I said, I, I feel like it was all of our faults. We could have made wiser decisions that night. And, yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel right now. I just don't, I don't think about it. I sort of blocked it out because... I don't have to, I don't have to think about it. I think that's very mature and very, like you said, you became really self-aware and this whole experience was about yourself and about the decisions you made and how you grappled with regret and how you overcame that and also overcoming all the physical difficulties as well. Like you said, like you don't feel anything about him because it's not about him. Like this whole thing is about you. So I think that that makes a lot of sense actually. And I think the fact that you're like, I don't feel anything. I don't feel like I have to feel anything. I think that's really healthy. I think that's really absolutely healthy. Yeah. I mean, it probably would be different if it was like a good friend since he was sort of like this, just this, <laughs> this person who I, did, I really didn't know him that well at all. So yeah. He was some dude. Yeah. He was <laughs> some dude. Yeah. Just some dude. <laughs> was he not injured? No. Yeah. So he wasn't injured. And then there was another passenger in the front seat. So they, I was the only one that got injured. They were fine. Hello, our lovely listeners. Not so shameless plug here. We just wanted to let y'all know that we want you to be part of our show. You can now leave us an audio message, send over any questions, comments, or just share some love with us. Link is in the show notes and in our IG bio. And if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram. We're always asking questions and discussing upcoming topics on IG. So come over and join the conversation at Shit We Don't Tell Mom. We also share our episodes, highlights, takeaways, and quotes. All right, now back to the episode. I want to shift gears a little bit. During when we were talking, you had mentioned that you're now really embracing this life of being independent and now you live on your own and you're able to do a lot of the things that you had wanted to do. But there's a lot of pressure around timeline for women, especially in the Asian Chinese culture of getting certain things done, like getting married and having kids and blah, blah, blah. And this was something that you had mentioned to us offline. Where are you at right? Like, what is all, what is that like for you right now? It, it's, to be honest, it, it is a ongoing battle. I feel like I have with myself because I think it's because I feel so strongly about not being on the, this master timeline of getting married, having kids, you know, and then the Chinese traditions and stuff. And that's the thing is that I don't think I receive a lot of pressure from my own family as much as other people do other women but it's still on my mind for some reason because I don't know because I mean I do get you know some comments here and there from my family my extended family even some of my friends um now I remember I visited uh, a place where I grew up and I was with some old friends I haven't seen in a while and I think this was like last year and 
they were all not married, but they were all like in relationships and some were engaged. And literally, I was asked three times that night, why am I not why I'm single? Why am I not in a relationship? And do I ever think about having kids? Like, how come you're not thinking about it now? Because I'm old. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're old. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, we're getting older, Kelly. I mean, just the thought that I was asked three times that same night by basically the same person and another person. Because I answered the first time and it's not, it was like not good enough for them. So they had to ask me again. So just that was mind blowing. I was like, what the? Like, wh- why, why do you even care? And you know, <laughs> I didn't say that. I, I just said my answer. I was like, I don't feel the need to, I, I don't feel pressure right now. I don't feel the need. Like, maybe, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I'm single. I'm working on my, my career right now. If I have kids in the future, great. If I don't, that's great too. Like, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I have to get married and have kids right away or right now. And I guess that answer wasn't wasn't good enough and so I just felt really judged I just felt judged by that person and so I was like oh geez I can't believe this I can't believe I'm still getting questions like that especially from like a friend of mine so I do get you know those comments from my family too and I think now though because I have support from my mom who actually like yeah she supports my decisions and stuff and doesn't pressure me at all she supports me with my other family members and kind of tells them to kind of leave me alone. So I kind of had that and it just, it, it got better, I guess what I'm saying. As of right now, I don't get as much pressure, these words in my ears. But internally though, I, and for myself, I do think about it sometimes to be on this master timeline as I get older, but I don't believe in it. I don't, be- I, don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I truly don't believe in it. So I don't know. I think it's just a struggle that I have to keep on reminding myself too, that like, I'm doing great. Like I'm doing great. And I still feel this way about kids. Like if I have kids, great. If I, if I don't like, I'm, I'm not ready for a kid right now (laughs) for sure. Like I just want to do my own thing. I think it's really important for women, especially to accomplish their own goals and dreams and take care of themselves before they take care of other people. That includes being in a relationship too. I think there's you know, when you're in a relationship, there has to be individualism, you know, they have to be, they have to have their own thing. That's what I believe. So that's what I'm trying to figure out right now, you know, being satisfied with being alone and discovering my own individualism. I love that. And I really relate as well, because same thing, like my mom also fends off the relative questions. <laughs> fends off. Like, she like, like she's, they come she's and she's just like, pa, pa, pa. like she like fends <laughs> them off. Most of my relatives are back in China. So in China, I became a leftover woman, like five years ago that's a thing over there so she can kind of just blame everything on the west she's like you know in the west women are more focused on themselves and they don't get married till much later and and then my relatives are just like okay sure 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 (laughs) yeah so my mom does the same thing she supports me as well but i really like nod in my head i don't know if you noticed i was really nodding my head when you were like it's more of a battle with and then i was expecting you to say like my family and then you said myself and i was like boom like yeah i i feel the exact same way like there isn't there aren't really anybody like pressuring me directly but i feel like it is a battle with myself as well because like especially during the whole covid thing like every time i go onto facebook i see people get engaged there's been like i think i should like make it into a game or something like every time i see an engagement take a shot but (laughs) (laughs) yeah like literally in the last three months i saw countless couples get engaged which i'm so happy for them because they're they're on their mind they're probably like if we could survive a pandemic together we can survive marriage let's get married um so i'm like like, the world is ending the world is ending let's get married or like we don't have to have a big wedding we can save money let's go (laughs) whatever whatever their reason was like super happy for them but i was just like i think i was projecting that pressure onto myself because every time i saw it i was like should I be doing this? Do they know something that I don't know? Like, is that the way to life? Like, am I doing it wrong? <laughs> so yeah, I totally like when you said like, it's more of a battle with myself. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Just a, this battle, like when I do see stuff like that, or just my friends having their second child, <laughs> I, you know, at the same age as me, like, it's just, it just rings some bells in my head that are like, hmm, like, yeah, am I supposed to be living this life or, but then I always say, but then I always revert back. I'm like, no, no, I don't, because I'm not ready. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So stop trying to compare with other people and feeling like you have to be on their level. So it's just always that battle. Yeah. And I think we need to normalize that internal battle. 
I think yeah. because you know it's becoming more and more acceptable. I know it was definitely a lot harder for women older than us, like the older generations, to kind of choose a life where they don't go down this mastered timeline. And for our generation, we just have to like we talk about it. We're like we will, you know, like modern feminism. We can do whatever the fuck we want, but we still have these internal battles, and we we yeah. still need to normalize it. Like it's okay that you're. Sometimes you question yourself, and it's、mm-hmm. okay that sometimes you have this internal argument in your head, like yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, because that's、yeah. normal, right? Because we are taught certain things and we try to unlearn them, but we're still a product of our environment. We absorb all these things from our environment. We see everyone doing these things, and as social creatures, we're like, should I be doing the same thing so that I can get accepted into this tribe, so that I don't get picked off by the saber-toothed、yeah. tiger? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like I think that. Is something that I really believe in as well. Like we have to normalize the fact that yes, we we know that as women of the 20th century, especially in North America, we're very very privileged, where we have had a lot more rights than some women in other parts of the world. We have a lot more rights than women before us, and we are grateful. <laughs> we are grateful for that. But it's not perfect. It doesn't mean that we can just choose a path and be like live happily ever after, because we are still going to struggle in our、yeah. debate. Probably forever, <laughs> and I think the point about comparison, and、mm-hmm. that comes up a lot too, right? Like we all know what we see on social media is all curated, but we can't help but compare ourselves. And because we have so such easy access, like the phone is in my hands, like sixteen hours a day,、yeah. right? As、yeah. much as I try to not go on,、yeah. it's、uh, sometimes I it's a subconscious thing. My thumbs will just automatically hit Instagram. <laughs> You know, and then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What am I doing? I'm just here to pee. Okay,、yeah. <laughs> I don't need this right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's yeah. the whole comparison thing. Like, I feel like as millennials, we grew up being taught like we can do whatever we want, and women empowerment. The message is louder than ever right now, which is great. So, and I feel like the three of us really agree with this. But then we also see all this shit. On Instagram, like people get engaged, people getting married, and then like sometimes our families are going to be like, "Why are you not married? You're going to be an old spinster." And then friends are doing the same thing too. So we're we're getting a lot of these messaging, mixed, messages. mixed messaging, mixed and so、messages. I almost find it even harder for women today, like as millennials, because we're in like thirty, late twenties, early thirties, <laughs> right? That is even harder for us because we're being told different things. And we might, you know what I mean? Like,、yeah. whereas yeah, maybe I, in the past, the path seemed more linear. Whether regard whether or not they wanted to go down those paths, that's a different story. But the path was more linear.、Mm-hmm. Now it's like, whoa! There's so many voices、yeah. coming in. Yeah, I don't know if we have it harder because it's always like subjective, right? Like, I don't want to compare to what other women have. To- Have, yeah, you're right. Have gone through in the past, but there's definitely, I think, the conflict is different. It's、maybe? a different, yeah, different. it's a very different conflict because now we're like, people are like, why are you complaining? Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want, and and then it's like, yeah, I know I can do whatever the fuck I want. It doesn't mean that it's like all dandy and like smooth sailing and smooth ride, right? I think that's the part where it's like that internal struggle. Like maybe it's just in our heads. I don't, I don't know, right? But it is something that we we should still be allowed to do, basically. And so, what if it's in our heads? It is in our heads. This is an internal conflict, right?、Yeah. It's like,、yeah. yes, yay, independent women, like play some <laughs> Destiny's Child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're really dating yourself, there. <laughs> millennials. Okay, millennials is Destiny's Child. Gen Z is like me, Megan the Stallion. <laughs> yeah. The girl that sings WAP and Savage. Oh,、um, yeah. You know what I mean, like. You know what I mean, yeah. You know I mean? Independent I mean. women, but then we also get similar messages of like, "There's a biological clock in you." Yeah, yeah. I get mes- mixed messages from myself. Like, all like the other day, I saw two toddlers wearing like matching backpacks, and I like nearly cried. <laughs> It was just like so cute. I nearly cried. I'm like, can I just, can I just, can I take one? You have two. Can I take one? You have two. But then I'm like, wait, I don't want, I don't want kids right now. Like, I'm not ready for kids right now. So it's just like mixed messages from society and from ourselves,、yeah. right? Yeah. And what was I talking about? I was talking about comparison, and that's the thing. Like, maybe some people are ready, and、yeah. and like awesome, right? Yeah. But then we have to think like it's not just you know, just because they're ready and、no. they're thirty whatever doesn't mean that I need to be at that same level too because.、Mm-hmm. 
You're right. When I think about kids, I'm like, first of all, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> second of all, it's like, I cannot, I, I can't, I'm trying to learn how to take care of myself right now. I'm yeah. trying to learn love yeah. and, you know, meditate and figure out what it is that I want in life. Yeah. I can't do that if there's another, if there's a parasite. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Christy oh, really man. loves kids, clearly. Wow. <laughs> I apologize to all the parents listening to this. Christy is uh, obviously biased because she does not want kids, period. <laughs> but the thing is, even though I say out loud I don't want kids, I still think about, well, what if I want kids? Mm. Like, what if one day I just wake up and I want kids and then it's too late because of my fucking biological clock? <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Even though it's it seems like I'm very adamant about my choices. Yeah. Even then I still get these internal mm. conflicts. Yeah. I think it's also cause it's, it deals with like the, the unknown too. We don't know anything can happen. I always think like, yeah, I say like, I don't, I'm fine with not having kids, but then what if I do meet someone and then things just shift and change and I feel differently about kids. I want to have kids with this person. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's just different. I don't know. We'll just have to adapt. <laughs> take, it, take it day by day. Yeah. Adapt. You know, there are technology out there that can help us extend our biological capabilities a little bit nowadays. They're not great, <laughs> but they're better than nothing. And you can always adopt, right? So my mom is a daycare teacher and she has met a lot of kids that were the result of IVF or the result mm -hmm. of sperm donors and stuff like that. And she's like, Honestly, if you can't find your own man, just go to a sperm donor. You'll have like the smartest, cutest baby ever. And I'm like, mom. <laughs> and my dad's like, no, 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 no. She should find a husband. No, 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 no. My mom's like, like, and then my mom tells me like, there's this like parent at work who's a surgeon and she's like incredibly intelligent and beautiful, but she doesn't have the time to find somebody. And she ended up going to a sperm donor, having had a kid and that she like that kid my mom's like she's the smartest kid she's ever met and then that and then the mom like loved that process so much she went back to the same sperm donor and had another kid oh wow yeah so there are all types of family situations out there right like yeah i think it's just about normalizing it and i was skeptical like when my mom told me the story i'm like i don't know if i can do that but I think, like, like, I think again, like anything in anything in life is just about normalizing it. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. Whatever happens, happens. And we have to be okay with whatever happens, happens in the future. Okay, I'm just going to slide right in here right now for some feel-good feedbacks because, you know, I'm mid-editing and I feel like it's time for some feel-good feedbacks. So we have Nina and Madison who left us a message on iTunes and they say, love these ladies, absolutely love these ladies. Their banter, conversations, and jokes remind you of any pair of friends getting together for a good time. Thank you. That's what we try to do. Although they talk about some uncomfortable and serious topics, it's always super important and interesting. Their conversations are full of inclusions, acceptance, and very relatable. This podcast is a great way to join in about normalizing the mental health conversations. Cannot wait to join them for future conversations. Nina and Madison from Weekly Wandering Podcast. Also fellow podcasters. Thank you so much, Nina and Madison, for dropping us these lovely comments. And of course, as always, if you want to share some love, please send us some DMs, go on to iTunes, leave us a comment. If you're not on iTunes, jump onto Stitcher. If you don't use Stitcher, just open up your browser and and type some things in in the text box because it is awesome to receive these messages in whatever medium. But also it kind of helps with the algorithm, too, if you leave comments like this for the podcast. OK, back to the episode. <laughs> So speaking of moms, and because our show is called Shit We Don't Tell Mom, is there something that you're not telling your mom? Hmm. <clears throat> Gosh, that's 
That's hard because I am close with my mom. So I do tell her a lot. The thing I don't really talk to her about, maybe there's like two things, two main things. One of the things is wearing my seatbelt since she told me numerous times when I was growing up. So I think that's kind of like a a subject I don't like bringing up or just kind of how I feel about it. And, and yeah, so that's one thing. But yeah, we don't really talk about it at all. And then I think the other thing is, which is going to make me sad again, but like, so she, when she came to Australia for me, she stayed for like a couple months while I, you know, did all my therapy, hand therapy, and then, and then we left. But like she, she was out there while her, her own mother, my grandmother was, not doing so well health-wise and she was you know on the brink of of you know health-wise she just wasn't doing very well and she was about to pass away basically and she did she did pass away the day before we came back to the states and that day that we came back to the states that's when her siblings my uncle and um, aunt they told her that mom died mom just passed away the day before they didn't want to tell her before uh, while we were in Australia but that day like when we arrived at, when we came back home I and know just knowing that that was one of the deep regret of mine of like oh what like I caused that I caused my mom not to be there when her mother passed not being able to say goodbye to her own mother I, that was that was me that was all me because she was taking care of me in Australia and that was just that was really difficult as well and I never really talk to her about it. Yeah. I think I mentioned it one on that day and she's like, don't worry about it. Obviously it's not your fault at all. But to this day, that's, that's it really, that re- it really haunts me. It does. I don't think about it much, but when I do, it does haunt me. Yeah. So that's one thing that I don't really talk about with her and I don't really want to. You don't want to talk to her about this? Yeah. I don't, I don't, there's never a time, I guess, that I would like to or would want to. I, I don't know. I think, I think now it's been so long that I don't really think about it. Yeah. Do you think it's something that she doesn't want to talk about either? Hmm. That's a very good question. That could, yeah, possibly. Yeah, because I know that, you know, she does mention sometimes that she wished she said goodbye. Without even thinking about me or the situation or anything, she would just kind of see a picture of my grandmother and just kind of mention it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's very difficult, I'm sure. Yeah, and our moms, right? Like, they're just incredible women, incredible people in our life. And even if you did talk to her about it, she'll probably just try to comfort you. And I, and I understand why. I understand why you don't want to talk to her about it because you don't want to because she she's going to make it about you, right? Like she's going to try to comfort you. And that's, of course, what you don't want. Right. And, uh, but, you know, she's your mommy. And um, <laughs> she's always going to put you first. Yeah. And she's also the type, like with her family, they weren't really open with their feelings. I guess it has to do with the Chinese, you know, way. And so, yeah, she's never really kind of, she is, she, I mean, she is open with her feelings to me and her kids. But, you know, with stuff like that, I don't think she would fully come out and say, yeah, like you said, to her own daughter. <sighs> I think from both ends, from you and from your mom, these things are really upsetting and uncomfortable to talk about. And I think that's a big part of Chinese culture, just avoiding talking about feelings because it's, it's weird, whether it's, you know, love or guilt and, or regret. Yeah. So these are powerful emotions. And because we're not used to talking about our feelings, then it makes it even more super uncomfortable and awkward. And no one wants to go through feeling those things. In this hour that we've talked, I feel like we've, we've gotten to know each other and we've become really vulnerable. And <laughs> you use the word haunting, mm. that these feelings and these thoughts haunt you when you do bring them out. Mm-hmm. What is the thought of even just the thought of talking to your mom about it, what what does that feel like for you? Mm, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's scary in a way. I don't know. Not scared so much of like, oh, I'm going to get, like she's going to yell at me or anything like that. It's just it's maybe the overall revisiting it and how it went down, how, we, you know, we literally got off the plane and we get this news. And I just remember just reliving that moment, I guess, maybe. And I just remember her crying like really crying out loud when her siblings told her we were all here. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have a solid answer, I guess, because I don't think about it too much. But yeah. 
We don't always have solid answers for actually a lot of we things don't, in we life. Don't have any, <laughs> we don't know anything. Yeah, we, we emphasize that a lot on our podcast. Like we're, we don't know anything. <laughs> we're here to talk about it and hopefully find out some shit. That is one thing like our podcast advocates for is to have uncomfortable conversations because in my personal experience, having these uncomfortable uh, conversations, especially with my mom, has really improved my emotional well-being and... I can't speak for her because I don't know the things that she goes through, but I can see that she has become like after having a few really, really uncomfortable conversations with my mom, she has opened up to me a lot more and has just like, sometimes I'm like surprised by the things she tells me. Cause I'm like, I I never imagined in a million years that she would tell her daughter something like that. Mm-hmm. well like what this like this is something that she told me like just today so i don't know if i'm ready to share yet but it's like oh like it's <sighs> sit in the discomfort so we are here for okay at this point angie shares a story about her mom and dad and their relationship but we are not going to put that out into the public because it's Angie's mom's story and we want to respect her privacy but having said that though we're going to keep the conversation going so bleep insert something about Angie's mom and dad oh wow and my reaction was like oh okay I didn't judge her at all. If anything, I was like, shit, like my mom's normal. (laughs) Yeah. Because we never think of our moms as just another normal human being because she's our, you know, their mom, mom status. And then I can tell she was really nervous. And I was just like, I'm like, that's okay. That's normal. And she was like, thanks for understanding. And I was like, yeah, you're welcome. And that was (laughs) awkward. It wasn't awkward at all. Like it was very, very smooth conversation it was very like she was vulnerable with me because I have been so vulnerable with her over this past year everything with everything else that she has felt comfortable being vulnerable with me I mean it doesn't happen overnight but I mean yeah like it's 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 I don't I don't know where that conversation is gonna take us but yeah right like what a uncomfortable thing to hear from your own mother But I also feel like, I mean, I, again, I can't speak for you or your Mm -hmm. mom, but if I were in either one of your shoes, I would have all these preconceived thoughts of of how the conversation would go down. Yeah. You know, like, oh God, it's going to be so weird to talk about it. Oh, it's going to be so awkward, you know? So you kind of set yourself up, but then it turns out that it really wasn't what Mm -hmm. you may have thought it would be. And I'm like, it's totally normal. And no matter what our relationship with our mothers are, whether they're good or not great, whether we like it or not, they do have a role as a role model for us. Whether that's a a big influence or a small influence, there is influence for sure. And hearing that from her just made me go, yeah, fuck, I have a really long time to live. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even if I'm married for like, 30 years like the marriage is not perfect and you're still gonna encounter these like weird emotional bumps in a relationship and they just made me go like it just shatters all these illusions I had about love which Mm. I think is very healthy Mm. right because it shatters all these unhealthy expectations about relationships about romantic relationships and the more my mom has shared with me about her personal life the less disillusioned i guess i don't know like the less less of a hopeless romantic i am like my perspective on love and on relationship has really matured as the relationship between my mother and i have matured because now I kind of know what to expect. Like people say all the time, like you have to focus on yourself in a relationship. You cannot lose yourself into a relationship. You have to work on a relationship. But like you can say all those things as much as you want, but until you get there and you have to do the work, you don't really know the details of it. But then hearing it from like, I don't know, from my parents, cause they're like the prime example of what a relationship, maybe not prime is not the word. They're the primary example, not prime, <laughs> not prime at all. <laughs> primary example like to me of what a relationship could look like and I've always been very like oh I don't want to get married like I don't know if I ever want to get married because marriage doesn't look 
great. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now that I'm understanding their marriage more, I'm like more open to the idea of a marriage because I'm like, it doesn't matter what my definition of marriage is. It depends on me and the person who wants to marry me, which is, you know, if you're out there, holla at your girl. <laughs> slide into that dm yeah 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 again it goes back to our like conversation about this master timeline like i think like it seems to me i don't know sorry kelly i don't know if you mentioned are your parents still together they are yeah they are right yeah and you said you're a very family oriented person and you're now you're really close with your mom so you do see your family as like you have that belief that like they're happy that's something that you would want one day so the mm-hmm. conflict of your battle with like hey do i want my own kids or not i think mm-hmm. that's where that battle comes from because you're like well i kind of want what my parents have yeah but i also kind of don't <laughs> right i mean even I'm just not ready for that right now yeah yeah i mean even with my older siblings you know they're married and my sister has two kids you know and she has <laughs> has that lifestyle of like, you know, a house and with like, yeah, two little ones running around and like, you know, married, happy, you know, just all that. And, but I think, yeah, when I see, when I see those things, not even with my family, but in society, yeah, I I just kind of see that as an example, like you said, of like, oh, could I have that? Should I have that? So all those questions, again, kind of come to play. Yeah. But then like, but then, you know, when I was thinking about when you were speaking um, about your mom but in this vision of this perfect relationship or whatnot, I was thinking about, like, how I see what you think is a perfect relationship and then they divorce or something or it's not as pretty as they display it, that they have been having issues or whatnot. Like, I've seen that. And that, honestly, that kind of makes me feel there's not a perfect picture to follow or to guide for, from to guide you know and I don't know what I'm trying to say but I mean does that does that make sense basically (laughs) we're scared (laughs) I think like we see like a couple and they seem perfect but then you know they're not because everyone talks about how like it's never what it seems and then there's a lot of issues and then like we're like well fuck I don't too much work (laughs) I don't know maybe but I think like yeah I think it comes down to like the fear of unknown like marriage doesn't guarantee to last and it doesn't guarantee it doesn't guarantee happiness. You still have to work for your own happiness. And I think mm. at the end of the day, yeah, again, fear of the unknown. It's scary. Same thing with kids. It's scary, to be honest. Yeah. It's just like you said, like maybe you're not ready, but I don't even know if like we could ever be ready to right. bring another human being into this world. But, you know, and take it day by day. True that. Mm-hmm. That's a good takeaway because it keeps coming up, mm-hmm. taking yeah. it day by day. Kelly, I wanted to ask you for folks who are trying to learn how to take it day by day and like, you know, overcoming whatever struggles that they may be overcoming, what kind of advice would you give for folks who are trying to learn how to take it day by day? Or a better question is, what would you say to yourself? (laughs) What would you say to Kelly 10 years ago? Ooh, To, To take it day, how to take it day by day? I think what, I mean, I just, it always goes back to what I said earlier, which was just, I think what you guys said too, just gratitude, being, being grateful, being grateful for, I don't know, the circumstances of now that you're, you know, just the fact that, you know, if it was me, I'm, that I'm healthy and I have this whole day that I can make anything into, I guess, a new version of myself that anything can happen just within that day. And just look forward to that. Just be focusing on that and being really, you know, just being hopeful, being hopeful for the day, not like in the future, not like, you know, tomorrow, just be hopeful for the day and see what, see what happens. I think it's always, you know, the mindset, just switching our mindset, learning, practicing that, um, to focus on the positive, you know, understanding that there are negatives or if you're not having a great day or something goes wrong understanding the challenge there even too um understanding that it's there don't ignore it but don't allow it to consume you during the day be aware of it but then also know that know and understand that there's always a hopeful sign at the end or there's a solution to it and just focusing yeah just focusing on that i think i would yeah I love it. That's so good. I had, we had such a great time talking to you today. Where can our listeners find you and more of the stuff that you're doing, especially because you're writing a memoir? Yeah. And your blog. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm still working on my memoir. That's about the accident itself. And before the accident, the accident, my time in the hospital, and, and even a little bit after the accident. But that's something I'm still working on. But my I do have that blog. It's called Living After Surviving. And that's just, you know, just little posts of, of my insights of the aftermath of my accident, what I've the lessons I've learned, what I've learned about myself, about the world, about, you know, society in general. So that's where you can find me on for my blog. And then and then I'm on Instagram. My handle is um, Ms. Chu, where you can follow me there and on my journey with motivational speaking as well. So, yeah. And we will link all of that into the show notes. And one day when you do publish, let us know. <laughs> then we will also link that into the show notes. <laughs> and of course, we're going to read it. Yeah, of course. Oh, Thank you so much for taking the time with us and just chatting. And yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, I feel like too. I'm so much closer to you. Yeah. Like I just gained a new friend. <laughs> oh, this, no, this was really lovely. I've never been so it's really nice to be open and honest and have these deep conversations that I think that, you know, we should have more of, you know, in society. So I really thank you guys for this opportunity and just meet, you guys are great. You guys are so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Shit We Don't Tell Mom podcast with Christy and with Angie. Get that uncomfortable shit out in the open with your partner, a dear friend, a trusted family member, and with us. And as much as we love talking, we also love to listen. Hit us up with any feedback or topics you'd like us to chat about on Instagram at shitwedonttellmom or email us at shitwedonttellmom at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Bye!